And as we get to the preaching this morning, we'll continue the theme of the resurrection. I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8. If you would please turn to Romans chapter 8 and stand with me to honor God's word as we read it. I appreciate the effort of everyone that you've seen and have not seen. And several people are required to do specific things in order to help a service like this be successful and to accomplish the purpose, which is to honor the Lord and to communicate truth you know, in some way that would be worthy of His great name. And so I appreciate that. I'm so thankful for our Lord that's worthy of celebrating today. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are are after the flesh Do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. The thought for this morning, the title of the message is this, the might in the mortal, the might in the mortal. The resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't just provide eternal hope that one day we'll spend eternity with God, but it gives us the promise of power and hope for a life that is pleasing to him now in this mortal body. By his might in our mortal bodies. So would you pray with me and then you can be seated. Father, thank you for this morning. I ask again that you would help the truth. And God, it's your truth and it will do what you've promised it would. But would you help the delivery of it and then help our focus this morning. Help us to work at not being distracted. Help us to work at giving you the best of our attention. And then to be honest and to be responsive to you, and I pray ultimately to be helped and encouraged by the truth that is here. God, there's a lot of great truth in this chapter, and I just pray that you'd help us to convey some of it in a way that would honor you and and encourage your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much for standing. As many of you know, 
Andrea and I are blessed to have eight children. And I, I've enjoyed watching this in all of them at different times. My older ones, especially Alexandra and Ashlyn, um, have grown a little bit cynical with my teasing. But I really enjoy the relief that comes over my kids when they realize that they're not in trouble. And sometimes with a little bit of a stern voice, I'll call their names and I'll tell them to come to me. And uh, I'll just, I'll get their eyes and I'll just gaze at them as they walk. And they almost feel like they're walking towards the judgment. And uh, I'll just, I'll just stare at them and I won't smirk, I won't smile, I'll just stare at them. And you can see with every step, there's an increasing amount of trepidation and they get a little more anxious and they get a little more nervous and uh, I'll call their name one more time and almost sheepishly as though they're thinking, I don't know what I've done, but I must have done something bad. They'll say, sir. And I'll just hold that gaze for a moment. And then I'll smile. Say, hey, I love you. I love what verse number one says. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus Whatever trepidation my children feel when they approach me and I have something of a stern gaze upon my face, it cannot begin to compare to the trepidation that every sinner should feel with the idea of being held accountable before a holy and a perfect God. His holiness and His righteousness are beyond imperfection and beyond reproach, and we are guilty And some say, well, I'm not as guilty as them, or I've never done that. But if you've offended in any point, then you're guilty of breaking God's law. And so it's not how much are you guilty of, it's are you guilty or not. And we are all guilty before God. And yet, Jesus delivers us from the condemnation of God's judgment. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now we're reminded that the law in these verses, verse number 3, for what the law could not do. The law cannot save us, and here's why. It cannot, I cannot keep it. I'm not capable of that. The law is beyond my ability to satisfy, and while I might keep parts of it successfully, it's impossible for me to keep the law to the degree that would satisfy the righteousness of God. But thankfully... There is a greater law at work than the law God gave to Moses and the law that reveals the sinfulness of mankind. There is another law that is at work. Look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I have up here on the pulpit a coaster. And if I drop, if I let go of this coaster, then you see the law of gravity. That is in effect and it's working. And in the same way, without the salvation of Jesus Christ, we are subject to the law, which demands judgment. And we would spend eternity, excuse me, being judged and paying for that. But there's another law called the law of Christ Jesus that delivers me. And so it's not that the law is, uh, it's not that the law isn't in effect, it's that there's a greater law that has satisfied that law on my behalf, and that's the law of Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Jesus delivers us from condemnation. It's a great truth, and we could stop right here and everybody go home happy. 
But that's not all that the text says. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Jesus doesn't only deliver me from condemnation. Jesus demands from me consecration. Consecration is when you set something aside. I'll use the coaster again. You set something aside for a specific purpose. This coaster has a specific purpose, and it's for a water glass to be placed during a service for the purpose of refreshing the song leader or the speaker. It's been set aside for this specific. And and can I say it this way without you misunderstanding? I'm not elevating an object, but this isn't a coaster that's just sitting around my house. It's a coaster that is used specifically in a small way, but still used in a way for the service of God. It's been set aside. You Please don't misunderstand this. We are not saved by works. We do not earn salvation by our performance, and we do not keep our salvation by our performance. But it is a lie that some would teach that after Jesus saves us, he gives us liberty to live however we want. No, we are not required to live in any way in order to be saved or maintain salvation. That is all the work of Jesus Christ. But after having saved us, Jesus has purchased us with his own blood. And there is an expectation that his salvation in us produce a life that is pleasing to him. When Jesus came, he dealt the death blow to the power of sin. And so he expects that that victory Not just in eternity, but that victory manifests itself in the way we live our lives. Listen, the victory will be ultimately realized when we have a new body without a sin nature and we live forever with him. But he expects the victorious nature of that life that he has purchased for us to be manifested in the life and in the body that we are living now. The moment that you are saved, you belong to God. You'll see in the verses that we read, many references to the Spirit of God. In verse number one, it says, those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. To walk after the Spirit is simply to be obedient to God. It's, it's not an emotion. It's not some kind of other experience. And the Bible teaches this that you receive the Spirit of God not by some other special effort or special event. You receive the Spirit of Jesus Christ the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And there's no kind of sign that's necessary for that today. You receive Him the moment you receive Jesus. You receive His Spirit. And so the purpose is that He will work in you and you will live a life that is consecrated, that is separated Living it unto the Lord. Now this isn't popular and it's certainly not exciting. But God does expect us to live a life that is different than the life that we lived before we met Jesus Christ. Now for me, I was saved when I was a little child. And it's not that I was sinless. But I certainly... Um, was spared through the influence of my parents and then through the work of the gospel in my own heart. I was spared going down many roads that I could have gone down by the grace of God. No credit to me. But I am aware 
while there is all sorts of temptation and opportunity to sin, God expects my life to look different. He expects my life to look like the life of one that he has saved with his own blood and by the power of his own resurrection. He expects me to talk to Andrea like a saved husband would talk. He expects me to deal with my children's failure the way a saved man should deal with failure. He expects me to respond to traffic the way a saved man should respond to traffic. And man, was that put to the test this morning. Got, I left the house a little bit later than I intended to, and then we get to the train tracks at Middleton just before you reach the boulevard, and there's not one train, there's two trains going different directions. One train is moving, the other train is not, and I am sitting there saying, Lord, help me to rejoice in the resurrection, because I am expected to behave myself as a man who is saved regardless of how the traffic is going. There's no condemnation. Again, don't misunderstand this. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But that salvation is meant to produce a life that reflects the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. But here's the challenge. There is a war going on inside of us after we get saved. It is a war between the spirit and the flesh. Now, once Jesus saves us, completely saved. I don't have to do anything to get it. I don't have to do anything to maintain it, to hold on to it. When I fail, I can't lose it. I have all of it. But it can still be a struggle to follow Jesus. While we have the Spirit of Christ in us, we also have a flesh, a sinful nature that is broken. And to be honest... There's a part of me that wants things that contradict the life of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My flesh has desires and can, can, and can crave that which does not please God. My flesh can resist doing or desiring that which does please God. I can want what I should not want. And I can resist what I should willfully and joyfully accept. But my friends, that's not just true of me. That's true of each and every child of God in this mortal flesh. While we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ through the grace of our great God, it is still true that even after salvation, after our desires have been Affected, and after our hope has been affected, and after our discipline has been improved, that we can still struggle to follow the Spirit of Jesus Christ and to resist the work of the flesh. And you can desire and crave things that contradict the work of God, that contradict the truth of God, that are not pleasing to God. And you can resist doing those things that are pleasing to Him. You can want things you should not want. And you can resist things that you should desire to be a part of your life. And I don't want to be inappropriate. I don't want to be rude or ugly. But there are many a believing man who were controlled by lust. And they want that which they should not want. 
and they resist that which they should submit themselves to. There are many daughter of God who are controlled by a vengeful and a bitter spirit and they crave a vengeance or a spitefulness or a resistance to authority and they resist an effort in God to work forgiveness and humility and submission whether man or woman every child of God fights this battle where we want that which we should not and we resist that which we should desire. And it's summed up why in verse number 11, it, the text uses the word, your mortal body. You see, I'm completely saved. I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. My spirit is eternally perfect before God. My standing is justified. But this body and the flesh, the nature of my makeup, is still broken by sin. It's weak and it's limited. And that we can feel like the Apostle Paul said in the chapter before. Look at chapter 7, verse number 18 and 19. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good which, that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Look at verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know as a child of God, you should not gossip and tear people down. You know as a child of God, you should not lie and be deceitful. You know as a child of God, you should not lust and crave that which God has not given to you. You should not set your appetite Upon those things that aren't pleasing to God. You know as a child of God that you shouldn't speak angrily. You know as a child of God that you should not return evil. You know as a child of God that you should not give in to addictive substances. And that they should have no control over your life in any area. You know as a child of God you should not use vile language. You should not cater to the, to the fleshly desire of the lost. To hear crude and inappropriate language. You know as a child of God, even in circumstances like we are in, that you should not be ruled by fear or panic or every declaration of every expert that is. You know what you should not be as a child of God. And in contrast, you know what you should be as a child of God. You know as a child of God, your language should be seasoned with grace. You know as a child of God that you should forgive as Jesus forgives. You know as a child of God that you should show kindness in the face of hate and help the hurting. You know that as a child of God you should do good, especially to your enemies. You know as a child of God you should be a witness of the life-changing power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to those around you. You know as a child of God you should be a part of a church and involved in a church. You know as a child of God that you should live courageously Above the fear and the skepticism that haunts so many people today. You know what you should not do and you know what you should do. And yet like Paul we cry out, oh wretched man that I am. I know what I should not do and I know what I should do. And yet I struggle so desperately with this mortal body. My limitations 
in my sinful desires, in the craving that can wreak havoc in my mind and in my heart. I feel almost as though I am helpless. Christ delivers me from condemnation, but He demands of me consecration, and I feel so helpless to live that out sometimes. How is it possible? How can Christ have this expectation of me when I'm not capable? You see, here's the thing that this chapter reveals that is wonderful. It's connected to the resurrection. There is a unique power that is available to you for the purpose of living out the life of salvation that Jesus Christ has worked in you. Notice verse number 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Think about it. Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't just swoon on the cross. He didn't merely faint and then was revived by the cool temperatures of that cave in which his beaten body was laid. No, he was all the way 100% dead. The life went out of the body. And that body, when it was wrapped and when it was laid in that tomb, was completely without lifeless. Oh, but as we have sung about this morning, and as the scriptures tell, and as the historical account bears witness, and there are even other references to it in secular history, he arose, and that tomb that was filled with his body, his lifeless body, was eventually empty when that body was made alive by the power of God. Jesus rose. This isn't some figment of our imagination. He is alive. Well, we have to ask a question. Who raised up Jesus from the dead? (laughs) Well, he's God. That's why it says in verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead. You see, we're we're not just talking about someone who is a little bit different than us, but maybe in the same ballpark. No, he is one of a kind. There is no other like him. And he exists in a power and in a perfectness that we cannot possibly comprehend. And so how did he raise Jesus up? Are you ready? Here's the answer. He's God. You say, how did he create the world? He's God. How does he create the stars and know them by name? He's God. How does he set these things in motion and allow these laws to govern and then keep them in order in spite of the different calamities and in spite of the chaos? He's God. How does he predetermine before the foundation of the world knowing that man would rebel against him and that there would need to be a redemptive action taken How does he determine that he will come, that Jesus will come as a virgin? How does that happen? He's God. And the same God that was capable of 
creating and then redeeming and being born of a virgin and living a sinless life among sinners in human flesh. And the same God that was able to give his life on the cross, if he was capable of doing that, then he was certainly capable of rising again on the third day. What amazing and indescribable power. That power is beyond measurement. It's beyond calculation. It's beyond any ability to contain it. It is resurrection power. It's the ability of God to work outside the parameters of the curse of sin. Please think about that statement. We are confined in this body to working within the parameters and the effects of the parameters of natural laws that God has created and the effects of the curse of sin. No, we are limited to those things, but God has power to work outside of those parameters and outside of the effects and the curse of sin. And so to us in our mortal bodies, we have to battle this flesh and we fear death and its finality, but God is able to bend life and death according to His will by His own power. I like the idea of power. I like the benefit of power. I like power applied to vehicles. The 2019 Camaro ZL1 has 650 horsepower. You can go from zero to 60 miles an hour in three and a half seconds. Everybody should have that in their life. The Camaro Z01, the 2019, can do a quarter mile in 11.4 seconds. And I say amen to that. But I'm more of a motorcycle guy. The Kawasaki Ninja ZX14 is actually faster for any of you motorcycle geeks, specifically sport bike geeks out there. It's actually faster than the Hayabusa. The Kawasaki Ninja ZX14 tops out at 208.1 miles per hour. And you say, why .1? Because if I can go 208.1, I want it counted. <laughs> it can go from 0 to 60 in 2.67 seconds. But then there's the power of a space shuttle at launch. 16 million horsepower. <laughs> Are you ready? It takes a space shuttle about two minutes to go up about 30 miles. <laughs> That's amazing power. And there are other power sources that are greater than a Camaro, greater than a Kawasaki, greater than a space shuttle at launch. And men have been able to, mankind through wisdom and insight and discipline has been able to develop them and been able to harness them and been able to put them to use for good and put them to use for evil. But if we take all of the power that man has been able to harness and to develop and to utilize either for good or evil and we combine it all together, it still pales in comparison to the resurrection power to the might of the eternal God that was demonstrated when Jesus came out alive. When he rose from the dead victorious over sin and death 
and hell forever. And the point that this text is trying to make is that the same power that is so far beyond our ability to contain or to control or to measure, that same power is in you through Jesus Christ. That divine might, it dwells in you. Verse 11 again. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The same power is more than available to you. That same power is in you. You aren't limited to only the best that your flesh can produce. Remember Remember what we talked about with the law of Christ. You aren't just subject to the best you can do. You are possessed by Christ. And because you are possessed by Him, His power is in you. That's why it uses the word in verse 11 that He shall also quicken your mortal body. The word quicken means to make alive, to give life to, to make capable of. This body that is so prone to selfishness that is so prone to being overwhelmed with failure, that is so prone to succumbing to temptation, He is able to give you power to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Here's the statement. His resurrection might enables mighty living in a mortal body. His resurrection might enables mighty living in a mortal body. So here's what that means. You can say no. And you can say yes. You can overcome habits that plague you. Because you have a mighty power in you. You can overcome a temper that harms those around you. Because you have a mighty power in you. You can't overcome bitterness that has plagued you and hindered you for years because you have a mighty power in you. You can't overcome fear that causes everyone to panic because you have a mighty power in you. You can't overcome laziness or indifference because you have a mighty resurrection power in you. And brothers and sisters, this isn't a guarantee of a perfect life. You can overcome failure because you have a mighty power in you. But it's not just enabling for what you can resist. It's enabling to what you should do. You can be committed because you have a mighty power in you. To all of our moms and dads, you can raise a godly generation in a wicked and perverse generation because of the mighty power enabling help of God that is in you. You can be gracious in an ungracious world because of the mighty power that's in you. You can be a witness to a dark and lost world because of the mighty power that's in you. You can overcome your fear. You can stand up for Jesus Christ with His love and His patience because of the mighty power that is in you. 
you can face the challenges of your health circumstances. And you can find hope in your financial difficulties. And we can navigate successfully. We as a church must remember at West Valley Baptist Church, we need not be limited and handicapped by these things. The same Jesus that started the church is the same Jesus that is with the church. And the same Jesus that rose by the mighty power of God is the same Jesus that is empowering and building His church even at this very moment. We have, even now, as we assemble together through technology, we have the benefit of His mighty resurrection power helping us as a church family. We can thrive. We can grow. We can advance. And we can bring honor to Him. Not because of us. Listen, man, I sure, I enjoyed so many things about the service this morning. I, I enjoyed Miss Jessica playing, my, my daughter Alex playing. I enjoyed Brother Adam singing. I enjoyed the duet. And I enjoyed Brother Nate leading the singing. It was, it was all wonderful and I praise the Lord for it. But that's not where the power is. I'm thankful for men like Brother Z and Brother Patrick. I'm thankful for each one of you in your faithfulness, in the way that you're helping our church family to stick together and to thrive. But that's not where the power is. The power is in each and every one of us through Jesus Christ. And it is divine, mighty resurrection power. And that divine might can enable you to live a mighty life in this mortal body. So I want to ask you, Is the life that you're currently living following Jesus Christ, could it be described more as the limited life of a mortal flesh? Or does your life bear out the might that was put on display at the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Oh, don't misunderstand. I'm not asking if you go out and leap tall buildings. I'm asking you if the might of the resurrection is on display when you get upset about something. I'm asking you if the might of the resurrection is on display when you're tempted with something. I'm asking you, is the might of the resurrection on display in your mortal body when you have an opportunity to love someone? Look, look I get it. We're, we're in a unique time as a culture. And, and we've yet to fully comprehend economically and especially socially all of the things that will be different because of the situation we find ourselves in. But can I tell you what is not to be different? The love of God's people for a lost and dying world. And look, I don't know what's going to happen to shaking hands, but I can tell you what should never change, and that is the helping hands of the hands that represent Jesus Christ. And you are never by, as a child of God, you are never given license to hide from people. You are given a command to love them and to find ways to minister to them and to care for them. And I'm not, I'm not talking about ignoring precautions and being careless and revolting. That's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm saying that in every circumstance and in every situation, the mighty power of Jesus Christ enables us to live a mighty life in this mortal body. So what does your life look like right now? Does it reflect in your attitude and in your habits and in your approach to this situation? Does it reflect the limitations of a mortal flesh? Or in your flesh is the mighty power of the resurrected Savior manifested?
And when, uh, when there's a motorcycle sitting in a driveway, that power isn't being put to use until the owner, or in my case, the borrower, <laughs> gets on, turns it on, hits that switch, and then when you see Pastor Pyle flying down the road, 2.7 seconds, passing out gospel tracks as he goes, maybe not, I'll incorporate it somehow and call it a witnessing tool. No, look, when you see that, you're not looking at the power of the individual, you're looking at the power of the bike that the individual is on. When you look at a life that is being lived victoriously, you're not looking at that person's own personal ability. You're looking at the might of a resurrected Savior. Seek Him for it. Desire it and put forth an effort to live in it. His resurrection might enables mighty living in a mortal body. Would you please bow your heads with me for a moment of invitation? Miss Jessica will begin to play. I sure do. Should appreciate you listening this morning. This, this text should encourage you because God is not asking you to live out his expectations by your own strength. He's asking you and he's promising you that he can able, he can enable, empower you to live out his might in your mortal body. But it's by His power. It's His power. So would you, do, would you do a few things with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Number one, would you take an honest assessment of what kind of life you're living out? And it, and it doesn't mean it's in every area, but there might be an area or two or maybe many where your life is more consistent with the life of flesh broken mortality than it is with the mighty resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So admit, admit those areas to God. Admit them. Number two, you need, to, you need to pray and confess to God, I'm weak, but you've promised this and I believe it. And then remember that it's just like harnessing the power of a vehicle even though it's sometimes hard you have to take action to engage you have to make an effort and in the process of making that effort admitting where you're weak in prayer seeking God's help and then setting up guidelines for how you'll behave you will find the helping life changing power of the spirit of God in your life so many of God's children live they've accepted the salvation they're saved they live so far, far below the mighty life that they're capable of through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So while I allow the piano to play for a moment, you be responsive to the Lord.